Welcome to Jury Duty, I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, Prosecutor Creighton Waters concluded his direct examination of Jeannie Seconder, the CFO for Alex Murdoch's former law firm. In this installment, we review the cross-examination of Ms. Seconder by defense attorney Jim Griffin and conclude the witness's testimony. That's all coming up right after the break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com It is just before lunchtime on February 2nd, 2023, day 7 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, Prosecutor Creighton Waters had finished his direct examination of Jeannie Seconder for a hearing outside the presence of the jury, which will determine the admissibility of financial crimes evidence in this trial. Again, the prosecution's overarching argument during these in-camera examinations is that Alex Murdoch murdered his wife and son in order to try to cover up and or distract attention from his financial misdeeds. After a brief break, Judge Clifton Newman invites defense attorney Griffin to begin his cross-examination of Ms. Seconder. Griffin approaches the witness and begins by asking her about her encounter with the defendant on the afternoon of the day that Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. Good morning, Ms. Seconder. Good morning. I want to go to June the 7th when you were up and Alec Murdoch's office, and you were talking to him about the Ferris attorney fee money, correct? Correct. And while you were in the midst of this conversation, he received a telephone call informing uh, him that his father was being readmitted back to the hospital, correct? That was my understanding, yes. And his father had uh, just gotten out of the hospital either that Saturday or, or Sunday, right? I don't know. Okay, and do you know that he spent the Friday night in the hospital with his dad? I don't know. His father was Randolph Murdoch, who was one of the principals of that law firm, correct? I know who his father was, yes. Was he a principal of the law firm? He was previously. He wasn't at the time of his death. Was he, a, was he beloved by the partners in the law firm? Yes. And when Alec got the phone call that his father was going back into the hospital, and you, you mentioned that you know, the belief was that it was terminal. Correct. You stopped your work and turned into a friend, right? That's correct. Provided him sympathy, correct? That's correct. And backed off of what you were doing to allow him to whatever he was going to do with his father. Right? That's right. And so when you walked out of the office, things had come to a standstill as to your investigation through Alec directly as to where's the Ferris fee money, right? That's right. And Mr. Randolph Murdoch passed away. Monday was uh, the 7th, 
He passed away on 10th, I believe, didn't he? I'm not sure of the date, but that sounds right. That Thursday. And if Alec had stayed out of the office from the day that, from that Monday when he got a phone call that his dad was going back to the hospital and terminal until his dad passed and shortly after he passed, no one would have said a thing in that firm, would they? I'm not sure if they would have not. Griffin then delves into the case that led Ms. Seckinger to suspect that Alex Murdoch had misappropriated funds and appears to seek to sow doubt in Judge Newman's mind that financial malfeasance was the only reasonable interpretation of the defendant's actions with those funds. Now what you were looking at investigating was where is the fee due to the law firm on the Ferris case, right? That's right. And, and that was a case where Alec was associated with Chris Wilson, and they represented plaintiff, I assume, Mr. Ferris, or Ms. Ferris, or the state of Ferris. Or, Correct. And, and they got an um, excellent result as, during the case. It was a verdict, a non-jury verdict, of a, after a trial in Richland County. You remember that? I don't know the details of the case. And the firm got an expense check, but no fee check, and the immediate question went out to Chris Wilson's paralegal, where's the fee for the law firm, correct? That's right. And the paralegal said, our bosses got paid, and then that caused you to look into the matter. That's right. Okay. Now, and Alec told you, no, no, the money is still in uh, Chris Wilson's trust account, right? That's right. And he said that to you on a, multiple occasions. That's right. In fact, Chris Wilson sent an email saying the money's in my trust account. He did in July. In July, that was forwarded on to you, right? That's right. Did Alec explain, did, did he come up with a story to explain, well, the, the reason the money is in the trust account is because I'm considering whether to structure the fee? We did discuss that, okay. yes. And in, in that law firm, your law firm that you're an employee of, partners have structured attorney's fees in the past, correct? They have. And, and so the, the fact that, and, and just so the record is clear, when we're talking about structuring attorney's fees, it is delaying the payment of the fees um, through some financial product. Isn't that correct? That's right. And by delaying the payment of the fees through a financial product, if successful, you're, it allows to delay the payment of taxes on that money. That's correct. Now, in the times that the fees have been structured in the past, when the payment of the fees have been delayed, who is the beneficiary of the financial product? Is it the partner that brought the fee to the firm, or is it the law firm? So we've only done it once or twice in the past, and when it was done, it was the beneficiary was the partner, but it was also contributed and figured into our allocation at the fee breakdown at the end of the year. I mean, the fact that there's a structure the time you did it, when it was disclosed above board it is and just use say a hundred thousand dollar fee for example i mean to allocate it to the firm that partner who delayed receiving a hundred thousand dollars till sometime in the future would still have to put his seven and a half percent or her seven and a half percent into the kitty at the of the firm right and that would also be a percentage of the money that he would receive that'd be taken into account of that well would it i mean if if it was a hundred thousand yes. dollars it did so he got credit on, or she got credit for the hundred thousand dollars, even though it never went to the firm. Yes. So if 
So if a partner... If a partner did it correctly, it would be recognized and it would be accounted for correctly. The question wasn't whether he was going to structure a fee, it was whether he had received the fee personally. Understand. The, um, and, and he had said he had it and it was at Chris Wilson's office. That's what he stated. The uh, spreadsheet and the files that, that you were asked about, I noticed the Ferris matter wasn't on any of them, correct? That's right. And the Ferris matter wasn't on any of them because the Ferris matter, um, the firm ultimately got paid 792000 which was what the firm was owed on the Ferris case. We did. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Jim Griffin next moves on to ask Ms. Seckinger about how and when she acted on her suspicions about Alex Murdoch in the aftermath of the murders of Maggie and Paul. After Maggie and Paul's murder, and after Mr. Randolph's death, murder on the 7th, Mr. Randolph, Murdoch's death on the 10th, how long of a delay was, was there before you got in touch with Lee Cope and Lee reached out to Chris Wilson? There wasn't a delay in me getting in touch with Lee Cope. Lee Cope knew about it. The decision was made to call me off of it. Now Lee would deal with it from there with Chris Wilson. So as far as you know, there was no delay. It was just taken over by Lee Cope. It wasn't a delay on my part. It was taken over by Lee Cope. And you don't know whether Lee, how long it took Lee to Lee Cope to reach out to You would to have to ask Lee. And, so, and you can't testify to that. You would have to ask Lee, right? Yeah, I don't know. And then you would um, talk about a Hershberger case where there was a actually a, appeared on paper to be a structured fee, correct? That's right. And you're having done one in the past, it did not appear that um, that the proper procedures were followed so that Alec would have to pay income tax on it, That's whether correct. it's structured or not. That's correct. And his explanation, I think you said that was back in late May, early June. Yeah, that check was May 12, 2021. The first I can't, I can't be sure when the exact conversations were. They were all going on around the same time, but it been after that check. Okay, and that, um, and so the thought there was, and Alec told you that. Well, I'm just trying to want to shelter money from me, put in Maggie's name because I'm being a, a defendant in the voting case. That's correct. Now you and your firm, and you've had outside forensic accountants um, looking at everything, and, and you don't have any information or evidence or documents that would suggest that any of the Hershberger fee went into Maggie's name. I did not pursue that portion of it. We have testimony from Michael Gunn that there was no annuity set up. Right. And I, and I guess, the, you know, right, so as far as you, you can tell Judge Newman here today is that Alec put that money in a fake Forge account that was Alec Murdoch doing business as Fulton. Correct. And, and you don't have any information that that money then went into Maggie Murdoch's investment account, personal account, or any sort of account, right? 
I know that it went into his Forge account after that. I don't know how it was used. Again, by real Forge and fake Forge, Griffin and Ms. Seckinger refer to the names of an actual financial consulting firm to whom the firm's checks should have been sent and a fraudulent entity founded by Alex Murdoch with the name Forge, where the defendant diverted the funds apparently for his own purposes. And I think you said that, that you didn't start back up and looking into the Hertzberger matter until sometime in, I think you said, did not readdress it until late September. That's correct. And um, early September, you were sitting in your office and you had a epiphany or you know, just a thought. Well, let's just see what these, how many times Alex been, his cases have checked going to Forge. Well, when you're speaking of Epiphany, I had started digging through his client list for every fee that he'd brought in. And rather than going one by one, my Epiphany was, let me just run a payment ledger on Forge and see what's, what that turns out, rather than digging one by one. Okay. And what prompted you to do that? because I was trying to look to see if there had been any more settlements that had been written to Forge like this other one with Hershberger so that we could account for them and discuss how we were going to handle them at the year end with the bonus distribution. I see. And at what time of the year do, do you have to prepare final reports um, for December. the December. For December? And when do you start working on that? <laughs> it depends every year, but usually December. But. In, in September, you were, I guess, I mean, doing your job, trying to see if there were other Hershberger-type structures out there. That's right. Okay. And um, and so you, you, you ran a report of financial records that were maintained at the law firm, correct? Correct. These were electronic records? Yes. And you didn't have to order bank statements for anyone. You had them right there at on your computer system? I have mine, yes. We've seen checks to Forge, I think you said, going back to 2015. Um, Correct. Have those checks been on the firm um, financial system and maintained them since 2015? They were. They didn't catch our attention before that. Defense attorney Griffin returns to the murders and whether or not they affected the investigation into Murdoch's financial crimes. And there's nothing about murder of Maggie and Paul that prevented you from accessing that information at any point in time, is there? No, what prevented me was work and personal obligations to get to that point in time to have the opportunity to look. And the, uh, but the information had been at your fingertips. Anything was done in 2015, it, it was there. 16, it was there. 17, it was there. That's 18. right. And that's why you were able to go back and, um, and do the work and law firm stood up and made these clients whole, is that right? That's right. Jim Griffin then hands a document to Ms. Seckinger and guides her to identify other instances recorded on the document where she suspected financial misconduct by the defendant. Now, let me just have you look at this right quick. Can, can you go through Exhibit 314 and there, um, it, the grand total is $2,841,512.55 and tell us just identify anyone on this list that is straight diversion of fees that were due to the law firm. Both Hershbergers were straight diversions of fees that were due. Is there any other one on here? 
partials of some of the other ones. I can't remember the breakdowns, but I know like at least Mallory or some one of those two, some of them should have been firms fees due to them. Right. But all the other ones, but the Hershberger matter, involve proceeds that should have gone to the client, right? Which your client stalled, yes. Well, you investigated it and you came to that conclusion and the law firm came to that conclusion, right? Yes. Okay. But as part of the investigation, did you have to interview the clients and ask the client, hey, did you authorize Alex to put this in a fake forge account? We did interview the clients, most of them. We met with them. Most of them were very surprised and shocked and stated that they had no idea right. that they had been stolen from. And, and so to establish that the clients didn't authorize Alec to do what he did, I mean, you had to go to the clients. Correct. And get their response. Correct. And you accepted their response, rightfully so, correct? Correct. On this list of 314, is, is there any... Is there anyone where you didn't go to the client or the client representative, except perhaps Hershberger, and say, did you authorize Alec to do this? I might not have met personally with all of them, but somebody within our firm did. Right. Now, Barrett, the second one, Barrett Bulware, said took insurance proceeds, and that's Exhibit 314. I think you said Alec had power of attorney? They did. And, uh, and was Mr. Bulware alive in 2018? I'm not. I don't remember. And how is it that you know that Alec did not have a permission from Barrett Bowen to keep that money personally that perhaps Mr. Bowen had owed him some money? When, um, I believe Ronnie Crosby's the one who spoke with Jarrett Bowen, who is his PR, so that would be a better suited question for Ronnie than it would be for me. So we, we would need Ronnie Crosby and Jarrett Bowen to come in and testify as to what Barrett Bowen may or may not have agree to do without you may have one that he could come in and testify that to but the rest of these on these lists people told me that they either did not know about it was covered up or was forced and they would need to come in and tell they the would and they have or they've testified they believe they have not in this proceeding not in this proceeding griffin then moves on to another set of transactions identified as suspicious by ms seconder that involved a financial institution other than the real and the fake forge companies now there's a, there was another group of cases that involved Pemo state bank is that correct that's right and your brother-in-law that's right and again uh, there's arthur badger natasha thomas akeem pinkney uh, do you know if Mr. Lafitte or anyone at the bank was personal representative or conservator for any of these folks? He was conservator for Natasha Thomas. I believe he was conservator for Hakeem Pickney. I can't remember the exact circumstance. And he was the conservator for um, Arthur Badger's wife. Okay. And Mr. Lafitte, I mean, all of these checks went to... Uh, Palmetto State Bank, correct? Correct. And then from Palmetto State Bank, they were sent out to pay, at, according to your investigation, expenses that Alec owed. Is that right? Correct. And repayment, repayment of loans that, that Alec owed, right? Correct. And that Mr. Lafitte uh, was knowledgeable about that, as far as you know, right? It appeared to be. Jim Griffin sifts through a folder of financial documents, then takes one out and displays it on the monitor from his seconder. Now, 
I want to go into um, a little bit more detail on some of these. Do you, do you see that one? That's the um, disbursement sheet. Yes. And and the recovery amount here is, um, and it says settlement proceeds to Forge Consulting. And that's two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Correct. And that, according to this document, represents what the client should have gotten and didn't get. Correct. And then the attorney's fees here said $22,000. Is that the firm got $22,000? Yes. Okay. And then this same exhibit, there's um, there's a lengthy footnote down here. I guess, this, does this footnote explain what happened? Yes, it does. And this footnote, it says there were three previous disbursements in this matter. Is that right? Yes. And it says the first one occurred on December 13th, 2018, issuing attorney's fees and costs, $19,932.89 to Palmetto State Bank, satisfying loans and et cetera, and other matters. Is that right? That's correct. Now, um, do we know if any of those are fake bills? They look to be legitimate. Did you confirm they were legitimate? Yes. And how'd you do that? By looking at the paperwork and observing the paperwork. And then here there was another disbursement on December 20th, 2018. Is that right? That's right. And, and this document referenced some, some exhibits. Um, there's an exhibit A through F. Did you prepare this footnote? I'm not. I don't remember which ones exactly. I prepared a, prepared a lot of them, and Chelsea Van prepared a lot of them as well. So, and, and most all these have an expl explanation and a footnote as to what the entire transaction was That's about. That's right. And you didn't do every single one. It, it was a team effort, I take it. That's right. And so people on the team investigated it and then would have to uh, come here and explain exactly what they did and what they learned. And That's correct. It's also been through forensic audit and also looked at former FBI and it's been provided to law enforcement who all looked over it as well. Okay. Griffin flips through another series of documents before pivoting back to Ms. Seconder's encounters with Alex Murdoch on the day of the murders. Now, uh, you, I think you also said that on back to June the 7th, that you said that Alex called you and asked for his updated balance in his 401k. That's right. And he told you he was putting together some financial records for... Uh, civil discovery in the voting case and there was a hearing coming up yes and that he had um he'd ask you he'd question you uh previously about the balance in the 401k that's right it's not been the first time and the times that he questioned you was it was it in context of putting together information for the voting case or just he was curious putting together information for financials financials in general or fi financials in voting case or you just don't know i didn't really ask particulars. So the perception was that it's for the voting case. Talking the office, we knew hearings were coming up. We knew they were looking for his financials. Okay. Well, well, when you said on the seventh he called you about financials, did he reference the voting case? I that? believe he did. Okay. Now, do you know what impact or what consequences Alec would have suffered from his partners if he had just or if you had found that he had diverted the Ferris fee to himself personally, as opposed to putting it in a structure or putting it in the firm, do you know? I think that he probably would have um, 
had some bad repercussions for them because they were adamant that we were not going to be part of having any portion of hiding or diverting any fees. And, and the concern was hiding fees from the civil discovery in the boating case? Yes, at that point in time it was. And at, at that point in time, no one was saying that, that they thought he was stealing from the firm, but that we, he was sheltering money from being disclosed. That was the opinion, yes. And then it wasn't until September when you ran a report and you saw all these forged checks being deposited in the Bank of America account and, and endorsed by Alec, you'd seen his signature, that you realized there's been something far different going on than what anyone believed. Is that that's right? correct. And that's what led to his uh, resignation or termination. Correct. And that information had been in the books and records of the law firm since 2015. Correct. Jim Griffin convenes with fellow defense attorney Dick Harpudlian, then concludes his cross-examination with one last question. One last question. The, the information that in part of the investigation, you and members of your staff and the forensic accountants determined that the clients did not authorize any of these transactions. I mean, you have no personal knowledge other than what's been told to you by people working for you or by the clients, right? I also saw some of the deposits going into his personal Bank of America account statements. No, I understand that, but whether the clients... If they had some back deal, I don't know about any of it, no. Right, right. And any information you have about what the clients told the firm is hearsay, as far as you know. It's not hearsay if they said it to me. Okay. Some said it to you. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Judge Clifton Newman asks if the prosecution has any further questions for the witness, and Creighton Waters rises for a brief redirect examination of Ms. Seginger. One thing you know is that the money that you talked about for the fake forge went into an account Richard Alexander Murdoch DBA forge, correct? Correct. Is there any possible legitimate explanation for client trust funds to go into that account? No. And after you realized that they went into those accounts, did the firm ultimately refund the money to those clients? Yes. You mentioned that you actually found in his office some bank statements for that particular account. Is that correct? That's correct. We'll show you what's been marked as Exhibit 335. Have you taken a look at it? Is that consistent with the Richard Alexander Murdoch DBA fake forge account that you saw? Yes. That you have repeated instances of client trust money going into? Yes. That there's no possible legitimate explanation for? That's correct. You were uh, asked some questions about the manner of your inquiry and that sort of thing. And I want to take you back a little bit further very quickly. Do you remember, is it common for after the books get cleared at the end of the year for certain partners to loan money to the firm to handle operating uh, expenses until fees start to come in? It is. Um, basically, we wipe out all the cash reserves. So in order to operate for the first couple of months, attorneys will loan money to the firm for operating expenses. At some point in time prior to all of this, did you become aware of an instance in which Alec Murdoch had erroneously received a repayment that was actually meant for his brother, Randy? We did. All right. And that did that happen once, or did the same thing happen twice? It actually went through twice. The check was written to him erroneously, and within a few days, he brought the check back to my staff and had it recut to him. So, first check that was recut, was held for him for about a year. So the replacement check went through immediately, and the first check cleared about a year later. And that's when we discovered that, going back and looking, that I discovered that he was paid erroneously, that it should have been Randolph Murdoch and not R. Alexander Murdoch. 
So it was one repayment, but he managed to get it twice. That's right. How much was that check roughly? Do you recall? One hundred and twenty-five thousand, roughly. One hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Was he confronted about this when that was discovered? Yes. What was his explanation? His explanation was that it was an accident that he thought it was due to him and that he didn't know and that he found the other one later and deposited it too because he thought they were due to him. Okay. And was he required to pay that money back? Yes. And after he gave that explanation of, oops, I didn't realize these $225,000 checks were for me, was that matter then forgotten or moved on from? It was shelved, yes. It was shelved. Nothing, no repercussions happened at that point in time or anything like no. that? Okay. So the money gets paid back and people moved on, is that right? That's right. Okay. Next, Prosecutor Waters, like Jim Griffin, asks the witness how the firm's investigation into Alex Murdoch's possible financial misdeeds was affected by the murders of Maggie and Paul. You testified before that when the murders happened, that the inquiry, nobody was going to bring that up now in the wake of the murders, the Ferris fees that you had talked to Alec about the morning that Maggie and Paul were killed, correct? That's right. It's a family-like place. Um, everybody was concerned for him, his family. We knew we had time to discuss this before the end of the year. And at that point, like we said, we didn't think he was stealing any money from us. Had no reason at that time to think he was stealing. Correct? That's right. And so it did get shelved, correct? That's correct. All right. And then in July, you got an email. Is that correct? That's right. And you testified to this before. What did the email say from Chris Wilson's office? It said that the money was in the account available to us at any time that we would ask. And then so at that point, the money seemed like it was there. The money had, is not missing. And so the matter was shelved. Is that correct? That's correct. However, you've testified that things have been going on for a while. And it was months later that triggered you to do that inquiry. Is that correct? That's right. Because there have been multiple instances over the years. Is that right? That's right. But that has nothing to do the fact that that might have occurred regardless of at any point in time because of all the things that have been going on. That has nothing to do with the fact that when things were happening in June, they got shelved, and then you found out the money was there, and you thought the mat that matter was closed. Is that correct? That's right. We never knew about the prior. We had no reason to look. We had no complaints from clients. We had nobody saying they were missing money. And this just turned up when we started searching because of the Hershberger and the other relevant things. Has there been instances in which Alec uh, used the firm credit card for personal expenses and was required to pay that back? Yes. And if the money got paid back, well, then the matter, everybody moved on. Is that right? That's right. So there was a history of that. That's right. You get the money back in, and everybody moves on. Is that's that right. right. History of trust and brotherhood. And that's what happened in July with the Ferris fees. Is that correct? That's right. You were asked about whether or not you were told in July that the money was in Chris Wilson's trust account. That's what you were told. Is that correct? Correct. Have you come to find out, however, that it actually had not been there? We did. And you found this check proving it, correct? That's correct. The bottom line is, is that there had been a long history of if the money got paid back, people would move on, correct? That's right. Things were continuing to percolate. They got delayed in June because of everything that happened, correct? Correct. But you were now curious, and eventually, months later, you looked back at that. Is that correct? That's correct. And that also was highlighted and sparked by the discovery of the check proving that he had not been telling the truth the entire time. Correct. Thank you. Nothing further. Anything further? Thank you. All right. Thank you. Step down. With Jeannie Seconder leaving the witness stand, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. 
Please join us on our next installment as we present another argument between the attorneys regarding the admissibility of financial crimes evidence in the trial, along with the testimony of Dylan Hightower. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.